It's Friday, February 7th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The victory lap was classic Trump. After being acquitted in the Senate on two impeachment charges, the president gave a wide-ranging speech where he knocked his foes like Mitt Romney and Nancy Pelosi, praised his allies, and called the investigations into him BS. The big question that remains is how the country moves forward after so much division. Meredith McGraw, White House reporter at Politico, joins us for Trump's celebration speech. Next, most popular restaurant chains are going all in on breakfast, spending millions and hiring thousands to expand their offerings and win the battle for the growing breakfast market. With the rise of food delivery apps, we are seeing foot traffic diminish for lunch and dinner at many places, and companies see huge growth potential with breakfast. Erica Pandy, reporter at Axios, joins us for more. Finally, the original American Idol, Kelly Clarkson, is having one of the strongest starts for a new daytime talk show in seven years, averaging about 1.9 million daily viewers. While she doesn't have the usual training of a talk show host, her authenticity and covers of popular music on the show are proving to be a hit with the audience. Kevin Fallon, senior entertainment reporter at The Daily Beast, joins us for why The Kelly Clarkson Show is killing it in daytime. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. You have to understand, uh, we first went through Russia, Russia, Russia. It was all bullshit. Joining us now is Meredith McGraw, White House reporter at Politico. Thanks for joining us, Meredith. Thanks for having me. So it was a big political week. The president was acquitted on both articles of impeachment, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. And we were waiting for the big victory lap. How was the president going to react to all of this? And we got it in two forms. One was at the National Prayer Breakfast, where the president kind of railed against Mitt Romney and Nancy Pelosi. And then at a speech later at the White House, where he went all over the place. I was following your Twitter feed, Meredith, and I think you summed it up perfectly. The speech was at times angry, at times happy, funny, insulting, vindictive, and rambling. And it highlighted friends and foes. So, Meredith, tell us what we heard from the president. The president is coming off of this acquittal feeling totally vindicated and excited to have the chance to go after some of his political enemies, people that he felt have taken him to court with all of these things. And he's really played a victim role throughout all of this. He's claimed that he's been unfairly targeted. When he was making his speech, I kept thinking about President Bill Clinton after he was acquitted when he came out actually to the Rose Garden and made an apology to the people of the United States for his behavior and his actions. And that's not something that we got from President Trump today. Instead, he went right after his political enemies. He went after Nancy Pelosi. He went after Adam Schiff. He went after James Comey, a lot of the folks that we hear him rail against all the time. And then he also took the moment to thank some of his biggest allies in Congress, people like Congressman Mark Meadows, people like Congressman uh, Steve Scalise and others who were loyal to him throughout this whole ordeal. In many ways, this was a return to classic Trump. We had the State of the Union earlier in the week, and he stuck to the script for the most part. There were some made-for-TV moments. All in all, it was fine. It was decent. But this was classic Trump, as you mentioned, just railing against a bunch of people. And he even called it a total acquittal. <laughs> he mentioned it a couple times. Okay, so let's go through some of the airing of grievances. Starting off with the National Prayer Breakfast earlier in the morning, without really naming Mitt Romney or whatnot, he said, I hate it when people use their religion 
as a justification for doing what they know is wrong. As far as Nancy Pelosi, he said, nor do I like people who say I pray for you when they know that's not so. And they were both in the room sitting not too far away from him. And the president has bristled at their comments in the past, particularly you named Nancy Pelosi when she said that she prayed for the president. She prayed for the presidency. Of course, Senator Mitt Romney is a devout Mormon and Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi is Catholic. And they're both very open about their faith and both very open about talking about the influence their faith has on their politics. But when it came to Romney uh, talking about the reasoning for his vote yesterday, that was one of the more open times he really has been about the role his faith plays in politics. And the president took issue with that, of course, and at sort of an awkward venue. The National Prayer Breakfast is a large bipartisan event. They pack a giant ballroom over at the Washington Hilton. And, you know, it hasn't stopped the president in the past from making remarks that maybe I would say, are a little tone deaf for the audience and the reason that they're all there. But it didn't hold him back from using that as an opportunity to take some swipes at them. Back to his celebration speech at the White House, the president kind of started from the beginning. You know, he said, since I was walking down the escalator, people have been trying to stop me. And he said, we went through the whole Russia, Russia, Russia thing and and the Mueller report. And he called that first investigation BS. You know, he said the full word and (laughs) right away on CNN, you see profanity laden speech, vulgar speech from the president, but he did call it BS. And he kind of went through that whole timeline from the very beginning. He ticked off all of the ways he felt that he's been treated unfairly throughout his presidency. I actually learned that there were prepared remarks for his noon speech, but the president decided to forego that. Obviously, there weren't any teleprompters in the room, and he had a paper in front of him. I don't know what was on it, but it seemed to be a list of lawmakers and guests who are there that he could you know, reference to. But the entire speech was off the cuff, and the president speaking, speaking his mind um, on everything from, like you said, the very uh, first days of his presidency, where he has felt that he's been under attack and unfairly targeted by Democrats. Yeah, he said if there was evil people there, he called Nancy Pelosi a horrible person. I think he said the same of Adam Schiff. There were some kind of weird, awkward moments. You mentioned Steve Scalise. He, you know, was praising him and all of this. He praised Mitch McConnell as well. But with Steve Scalise, he started talking about when he got shot at that baseball game. And he, I think, and he said, hey, you look better now than before you were shot. Some weird little weird moments that popped up throughout that speech. He did. And it's sort of classic for any Trump speech where he's speaking off the cuff like that, whether it's a campaign rally or any speech where he has the leeway to go in his own direction. He'll often follow one storyline and use it to take him all all sorts of places. So it wasn't surprising that he went off on a tangent, although this one was particularly graphic. He was talking about the horrific shooting of some members of Congress when they were practicing for the congressional baseball game years ago. But it was certainly um, an odd tangent to go off on. And there was also Uh, kind of a funny moment when he asked if anybody else wants to say something. And I guess Mark Meadows stood up and said, hey, I just want to tell you that we support you and we all got your back. That was very much the mood in the room. Everybody was very happy with the outcome. And and as the president said, this isn't a press conference. This isn't a new, it's not a news conference. This is a celebration. That's right. They called it a celebration. I just got off the phone with someone who was over at the White House, who was one of the guests over there. And they were telling me that it felt like a reunion of sorts. People were relieved and happy and This person described it as a joyous occasion for allies of the president. Meredith McGraw, White House reporter at Politico. 
Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Breakfast is a super habitual thing for a lot of people. So it's a way to really build brand loyalty with someone. If you can get them to be like, I've got that McDonald's on the way to work and I'm going to stop there you know, five days a week and get the same thing. Joining us now is Erica Pandy, reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Erica. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite meals, breakfast. A lot of popular fast food chains and restaurants in general really are starting to spend millions of dollars hiring thousands of people to grow the breakfast market, to grow their presence in the breakfast market. There was an interesting number that came out. Americans ate 102 billion breakfasts last year. That is a huge, huge number. Erica, tell us how restaurants are starting to get into this now. So you're seeing it with a lot of chains, as you said. The, the big ones, the eye-catcher was Wendy's, uh, which you know, at the end of last year, announced a $20 million investment and 20,000 new hires to get into breakfast. And then you've got McDonald's, uh, you know, in the most recent earnings call, the CEO said, we got to win breakfast. He cited it as the most important and most key focus for the year for growth. Burger King, Taco Bell have started adding to the morning menu more than their other menus. And then, you know, what's interesting that we found is that some of the Already, the, the, the chains who are already playing in breakfast, Dunkin' and IHOP, are trying some new things, whether it's plant-based or new restaurant formats, to kind of be, take an even larger share of the breakfast market. Yeah, you mentioned McDonald's. They said that breakfast is 40% of their profits, which is crazy because breakfast is only a small portion of the day. It's over like at 10 or 11 o'clock on most days. Even though they have expanded to some all-day breakfast items, I'm sure the majority of it does come in the morning there. And that's a huge portion of the profits that's just coming from breakfast. Right. Huge chunk of the profits of a huge company. And then, you know, you mentioned some of the some of the reasons, of course, that that's, uh, you know, it, it breakfast is all day. The other thing, though, is breakfast is a super habitual thing for a lot of people. So it's a way to really build brand loyalty with someone. If you can get them to be like, I've got that McDonald's on the way to work and I'm going to stop there you know, five days a week and get the same thing. Right. That's where that comes from as well. You mentioned Wendy's. They are getting into it with $20 million, 20,000 new employees. They haven't released the full breakfast menu just yet. I think it comes out next month nationwide, but they're going to do things like the breakfast Baconator, the Frosty Chino, and the Honey Butter Chicken Biscuit. All of those sound really good. I guess they tried this in the 80s to do breakfast also, but it just took too long and they discontinued it. But this is their kind of foray back into that. And then they're going to be a major player again in it. Absolutely. They, you know, they've done it a couple of times. They also tried once in 2010 with a pilot um, and it didn't really, you know, take hold. But this kind of investment, both on the people side and the money side, is something that's unprecedented for Wendy's. And so I think, I mean, I'm projecting this will be successful. And also the company itself is saying it's going to be 10% of total sales pretty quickly. One of the interesting things that I just didn't really connect before, we've seen the rise of delivery apps, whether it's Postmates or Grubhub or any one of these food delivery apps, Uber Eats even. And one of the things that I didn't realize was that it's kind of hampering the foot traffic for lunch and dinner at a lot of restaurants. A lot of places we're seeing maybe some profits rising, more sales throughout the day and all, but less people in the stores. And it's because of these. But the one place that has been untouched is breakfast. So this is the big growth opportunity. 
Absolutely. Um, I think that that was, for me, when reporting this story out, the most interesting detail, too. So, you know, food delivery apps are expected to do about over $75 billion in sales the next few years. And, you know, they are really cannibalizing lunch and dinner. But when it comes to breakfast, partly because the breakfast items are usually cheaper, so that few dollar delivery fee seems less worth it. And also because, you know, people are usually on the go and they're getting breakfast so they're not, you know, waiting and waiting for it to get delivered. Breakfast is the one where stores still have a chance to get people to come in and where food delivery apps are not really taking, you know, share away from from the foot traffic. And, And so because of that, breakfast is the only meal of the day where U.S. restaurant traffic is growing and all these chains are starting to understand that super quickly. Yeah, they've also pointed to the breakfast for dinner trend. I'd personally love that. I mean, eggs any time of the day and I'm sold. But that's another angle to this, too, is that uh, as these restaurants do expand those all day breakfast offerings, that's going to also play into even the delivery services. Right. And then that goes the other way. Right. I mean, who doesn't want a chicken sandwich for breakfast? And it's not a traditional fried chicken sandwich, a traditional breakfast food. But these restaurants are debuting that and, and having a lot of success with it. Erica Pandy, reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. Every moment Joining us now is Kevin Fallon, senior entertainment reporter at The Daily Beast. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Well, thanks for having me. We're going to have some fun talking about the original American Idol, Kelly Clarkson. Since the launch of her TV show, The Kelly Clarkson Show, in September, she's been averaging 1.9 million daily viewers. This is the strongest start for a new daytime talk show in seven years. And we know that that daytime talk slot is just so hard to really get a handle of we've seen a lot of people come and go just because it wasn't working whatever that host was doing just wasn't connecting with the audience but kelly clarkson's been doing a great job and as we had just said she's the strongest start in seven years tell us a little bit more about it kevin it's been a sort of fascinating to me because she's coming in the wake of a lot of people who should have worked on paper as daytime talk show hosts. You have Anderson Cooper and Meredith Vieira and Harry Connick Jr. and Queen Latifah. These are people who, because of their backgrounds and because some of them even come from daytime TV already, should have worked in this arena. And they just flat out didn't. But we have Kelly Clarkson, who is someone who on paper doesn't necessarily work. There's nothing about her background that says that this is a natural fit for her or that the public and people who watch due time TV would embrace her in the way that she has. So the fact that that show has been so successful, I I find very remarkable. One of the last ones that really kind of sticks out in my head maybe was Steve Harvey, who had a pretty good run. He, He turned that into a bunch of different shows and other opportunities and whatnot. But I thought his show was pretty good. But Kelly Clarkson's show, there's a real genuineness. Obviously, they play heavy on the music connection. She's a great singer. For those that might not have seen the show yet, it's similar to Ellen's show when she comes out dancing in the beginning. Kelly Clarkson comes out and does a cover song of whatever artist, and she always kills it. And I know that's in part due to her music director that helps out with all this stuff. But that's just such a, a really great feature, starts the show with a lot of energy. And as I said, she's a great singer. 
you know, that segment, which he calls Kellyoki, which I find very cute, was really smart because it got a lot of attention right away when the show premiered and sort of raised awareness that it even exists, which is its own hurdle to clear. And then once people, because they were attracted to that segment because they were so good, started watching the rest of his show and they found, you know, this thing about Kelly Clarkson that, you know, was so engaging and appealing all the way back 20 years ago when she was voted the first American Idol still is around today, given all of her success. She just seems so authentic and cool and like someone you want to hang out with. And those are things that you can't really fake because people can sniff out that fakeness. So it's, it's a real pleasure to watch her, you know, on top of just really enjoying that opening musical cover. It really is. You know, whenever she shares a personal story, you do feel the authenticity of it. You don't feel like she's making up details or anything. And it really kind of endears you to her. Kevin, you got to spend some time on the set for a taping of a show. What did you see while you were there? Who were the guests? Tell us the rundown. But what did you see there in person that was really clicking? So her guests the day I was there were... Anna Ferris, the actress from the TV show Mom, NFL Hall of Famer Tony Gonzalez. Her real world guest was a young girl who was a football player in her hometown. And then the puppies from the Puppy Bowl were also there. It was a Super Bowl themed <laughs> episode. So a lot going on, a lot of fun to watch. But what really struck me while watching her tape the show was her interview style, which we were sort of just talking about. It's the part of the show that I think people would have been most skeptical about her being able to execute because she has no training in that arena. But she does this thing really well where she can both make someone feel very comfortable to share the most personal details about their lives, but she also responds by immediately sharing things about herself the way that you do in a normal conversation. And she has a special talent of not making it seem like she's stealing focus or being a narcissist, but it's just a gal gabbing with a friend who just happens to be filmed on uh, <laughs> national television. Right. Yeah. And that back and forth conversation is really important for that kind of authenticity. You made a note in your article, and this is something that everybody asks anybody that works in the business with somebody. They say, how, well, how is that person in real life? Like, how are they off the cameras? And anybody that works on the show with Clarkson basically say that she is authentic. That's when one of the main reasons why she connects with people. And Kelly Clarkson for herself says, you know, she's just there trying to put out a vibe. It's all about a vibe. I want to exude this happiness and this kind of authenticity. And, and that's really what we keep coming back to. That's what's working for her. If you follow industry gossip, you hear a lot of stories about certain mega TV hosts who don't have a reputation for being pleasant on the sets of their shows. And you even have things like with The View, for example, every single day there's another gossip rag report about who's fighting with who. And it's all very unpleasant. But there is that vibe that you just mentioned of authenticity and also a little bit of joy coming from Kelly herself. It doesn't have any of that sort of darkness surrounding it that sort of shadows all these other shows, even if they do present as happy when you watch them on TV. Yeah. Well, I wish her all the luck. I'm glad she's doing well. I, I don't get to catch it live during the day when it's on because I'm at work, but in the middle of the night, every night when I wake up, it's the Kelly Clarkson show. And I always find myself watching it for a few minutes before getting back to sleep. So it is fun to watch. Kevin Fallon, senior entertainment reporter at the Daily Beast. Thank you very much for joining us. No, thank you very much too. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.